0: for this today. It's great that so many of you have joined us today to listen to Ginger Gorman speak about her latest book, Troll Hunting, a compelling read and an important window into not just the mindset and motivation of trolls, but the history of this kind of aberrant behaviour. Ginger is a fearless and multi-award winning social justice journalist. She has an innate ability to connect and communicate with some of the most interesting and marginalised people in our community and works hard to translate those untold stories into powerful and insightful. Ginger was trolled online and received scores of hateful tweets. Understandably, she was terrified, but once the attacks subsided, she found herself curious. Over the next five years, Ginger spoke to psychologists, trolling victims, law enforcement, academics, and the trolls themselves in ways she had never anticipated. Through her comprehensive investigation, she formed strange and enduring relationships with the trolls and has created a watershed book that is impossible to put down. This evening, Ginger Speaks with Nine News is a 2000 Walkley Award winner for broadcast interviewing and has worked extensively as political editor for ABC News and many other media organisations over the years. Please join me in welcoming uh, Ginger Gorman and Chris Ullman.
1: Thank you, you. and it's great to see so many familiar faces in the crowd, some of them going back to our days at 666 ABC Canberra (laughs) where Ginger and I knew each other were now going on for nearly 20 years ago. I don't know what you read into the portents, but there's a dust storm settling over Canberra (laughs) at the moment, at the same time as the Australian government's time in 90 hats. (laughs) It's a sign of the dust that's being kicked up online by trolls (laughs) uh, and or them coming out of their hideous hiding holes to to make people's lives miserable. And I can't think of a more timely book. And just briefly on Ginger, we, we haven't known each other for a long time, and I remember when it stood out about her was that she was an original, that she looked into places that other people did not go, and she's also courageous, and this, by any measure is an absolutely courageous book. If you haven't read it, you should, and you should buy it separately. Thank you, Chris. Ginger, just to kick off, for those that don't know this story, and I know it must still be hard to tell,
2: so I was based in Cairns, and I've always had a passion for social justice, which you know, and I put together a series about the lives of people who are LGBTIQ in that community, and there were actually nine stories in that series, and one of them was about this gay couple who told me that they had had a child via surrogacy in Russia. And so we broadcast those stories on a lot of ABC local radio stations, and those stories were also put online. Three years later, I was on maternity leave with my second daughter, and those men were arrested as members of an international paedophile ring. A man, Robert Stacy McCain, who was a very high-profile uh, journalist at the Washington Times, which is a conservative paper, he blogged about it, he used my Twitter handle, and he was essentially inciting his followers to shame me, and that's what happened. They just piled on. It started as a trickle, and then it really became a torrent. hate and I mean I really had not thought about trolling I didn't know much about it it wasn't really a thing that was being discussed in Australia at that time and there's just two really scary moments that occurred the first was uh, we got a death threat at night and we got this tweet that said your life is over and tech savvy you could just about pinpoint our house on Google Maps and then Don also found a picture of our family on a fascist website. So my mum's family had fled the Holocaust. A number of them had perished in the Holocaust. And then there this photo was of us and our children on this website with all this horrendous commentary. So together, those things were absolutely petrifying. And I really did have a moment lying in bed listening to my kids kind of breathing asleep in the next room and thinking, As a journalist, and this is something
1: the book really addresses, because we're seeing violence essentially move from the shut it off, shut it down, you don't need to worry about it, into the real world.
2: Yeah. So one of the things I was trying to prove all the way through is the real life harm that this causes. So you know, the word troll is used so widely now, it almost has no meaning, you know, people wind other people up in public and they say, oh, he's trolling her, she's trolling him. You know, we call President Trump a troll, what does it mean? I was really trying to define a kind of behaviour where the victim of this orchestrated online hate suffered real-life harm and I called it predator trolling because I was trying to say, This isn't just about being a snowflake or pulling your big girl panties up. This is about real-life harm. And if you haven't read the book, I mean, it shocked even me. I I had been talking to trolls for four or five years, and in that book, trolling is linked to terrorism, it's linked to real-life stalking, it's linked to murder, it's linked to domestic violence, it's linked to incitement to suicide. So these are very serious crimes. And I was trying to (laughs) make the point, you know, this isn't something we can brush off. And it costs a lot of money as well. It's not just hurt feelings.
1: Yeah, let's just look at what you decided to do. Because a lot of people could go about writing a book and do it as sort of a sociological survey where they go and they they investigate other things that other people have done. But the thing that makes this book so valuable is that you decided to try and find (laughs) the people who were stalking you, who were threatening you and your family with violence, and talk to them. Yeah. Is that a difficult thing to do?
2: So Robert Stacey McCain, yeah, I mean, it took me four years to email him, and it's probably the weirdest email I've ever sent in my life, and I sat there for a long time. Like, how do you write an email to somebody who has made you and your family very unsafe? And that was a very weird moment. And actually, he wrote back to me straight away, like almost within a few hours. And he was very polite, and he did actually engage with me quite a bit. He was quite accusatory. But then he never came through with the interview. The other trolls uh, were members of quite big syndicates and they were not backward in coming forward so you know as a journalist like it's actually really hard sometimes to get marginalized people to talk to you if you're trying to find someone who is doing an aberrant behavior they don't want to talk to you Um, these guys really wanted to talk to me and I think that's because rightly or wrongly they feel marginalized so it was not hard to find them and it was not hard to get them to talk which I still find really odd.
1: Well let's go through some of the characters and and I think the most disturbing character in this book is Mark. What can you tell us about him? he
2: is. So Mark is a very vicious and committed predator troll and he doesn't really experience empathy in the way that you or I would. So he's got what they call cognitive empathy. He can understand how to hurt or upset you but he doesn't feel for you he doesn't feel the emotions with you so he really goes out to hurt other people he's a classic sadist he takes pleasure from hurting other people he finds victims often people he considers to be marginalized so
1: or finds people who've just suffered a bereavement yes and trolls those who are mourning.
2: Yeah, so this is called RIP trolling and it's the most hard to get your head around. He'll find the Facebook page of, say, a young girl who's died by suicide and he will troll their family and finds it funny. He finds it amusing. And not only that, because he's part of a syndicate, so they pile on. He'll profile what's going on. They'll work out the way that's going to hurt that family most and then... Uh, yeah, and I mean, that is a very strange relationship that I have with him. He is very threatening. Um, he will often troll me, but then he keeps in contact with me too. Like, if I try to keep out of contact with him, he will eventually get back into contact with me.
1: But again, stepping out of the virtual world into the real world, at the very beginning of this book, he contacts you and says that, you know, someone who's just committed a murder in the United States was one yeah. of his people.
2: Yeah, so the book opens um, with a high school shooter who shoots two people at his former high school and shoots himself. And that is one of the administrators of Mark's wiki that he works on and where they document everything. So I guess that's where I'm trying to say these things are not separate, the trolling isn't separate. And the thing about that was that the local police said, we had no idea what he was doing. He didn't even have a speeding ticket. And that actually is just kind of rubbish. That just shows that the police have no idea what they're doing because Mark sent me a file about this high school shooter, William Atkinson, and everything was online. Everything about what he intended to do was online him making jokes about Columbine and wanting to do that Columbine high school shooting and wanting to do that himself. So all the evidence was online. And this points to the fact that law enforcement here, law enforcement there, law enforcement in the UK, they have no idea really what they're doing when it comes to cyber hate.
1: So these are people who are hiding in plain sight?
2: Uh, absolutely. Like when I looked through the file that they sent me, like it was just a public link. It was, I sent it to the FBI through the AFP in the end and I said, I don't know if you've got this, But uh, you actually need this, because this guy just killed a couple of people and I've got it. So could you send it to them? Um, So these are not, I mean, these are not, this is not the dark web. This is the internet. (laughs) You know, it's there. And, I mean, in my book I've interviewed uh, an amazing woman who is... um, Colleen Marnie, who's high up in the New South Wales Police, and she has a doctorate in social media, and she says that they are doing all this stuff, but if you go and report this stuff, you know, you walk into your local cop shop and you say, I am being trolled, you will most likely be told, get off the internet, love. Yeah. So, you know, these things are not connected in the mind of law enforcement, and they really need to be.
1: And with Mark, you go one step, you you interview him, but then you take what you've done and you play it to a psychiatrist. And and what's the readout that you get on him?
2: So the psychiatrist is a psychopath expert, for want of a better word. And, I mean, he is almost a classic kind of narcissist. He wants the attention. He um, He has no fear for his own safety. He is perhaps the victim of something when he's younger, although Mark denies that. Um, yeah, he um, has no human empathy, really. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the, the psychiatrist was, was fascinating, the psychologist was fascinating, and told me a lot of stuff that I also didn't understand about it, that I missed.
1: And so he would be part of what we might call alt-right. So this is a right-wing That's trial right. that we're talking about at the moment, and his gangs. And, and for a large part, your book concentrates on that. Yes, Uh, But you also talk about Craig early on, who's from a left-wing group.
2: Yeah, I mean, Craig was really interesting. So, you know, there's this idea that trolls are right and the left doesn't troll, and that is plainly not true. Um, Craig was actually far, far left, and he would troll other people on the left who he thought weren't left enough. So, like, it kind of, and I said, he said, I troll the earnest left. And I was like, would that be like me? And he's like, yeah, no, that's you. That's totally you. So, um, he uh, wasn't, he didn't troll on the basis of gender or uh, race or other things that we might feel are consistent with trolling. He mainly was just trying to make a political point. But he also, like the others, was trolling in a syndicate. So, You know, one of the ideas that we have is that these guys are, like, alone, in their mother's basement, that they're not very bright, that they don't matter, um, and and basically none of the above. You know, like, none of the stuff that we think is true is actually true. They are incredibly bright, a lot of them. Like, they're trying to converse with me about feminist texts and things like that. They've read them all, right or left. Mm. They are in syndicates. They're not alone, bar one guy that was alone. Yeah. I mean, he's a fascinating case study, too, because he actually gave up trolling after I interviewed him, mm. which is not what I set out to do as a journalist. You're not trying to actually be a player in the situation. You're trying to report. Mm. But, yeah, so I first interviewed him in the beginning of 2015. And this is? And then a couple of years later, I contacted him actually to be on Tara, Tara Moss's yeah. cyber hate program. And as part of the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor. He said, oh, yeah, I know. I gave up trolling because of Ginger Gorman. And it was because I was saying to him, you know, this stuff that you're doing is correlated with the dark tetrad of personality traits. Mm. So, psychopathy, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and sadism. But sadism is the strongest link, which means you want to hurt other people. Are you a sadist? And he said, yeah, no, I think I might be. And then he didn't like that. So he gave it up after that.
1: I want to bring in just one more character from the book, and there's a lot more in it than this, obviously. Meepship, what can you tell us about him? Because you developed quite an interesting relationship with
2: Yeah, him. and so my actual husband, who's sitting here in the front row, he started calling him my troll husband <laughs> because I talk to him so much. Because everyone needs one of those. <laughs> <laughs> an extra husband who's a troll. So. Um, I met Meep Sheep actually through Mark, because Mark said he's one of the key figures in trolling. Um, he's president of this horrendously named trolling syndicate please excuse me, they did this on purpose so that we have to say this in public. The Trolling Syndicate is called the Gay Niggas Association of America, and they do these huge, big media stunts. that get reported in the media, so the media has to report it, and it's called media fuckery. Mm. So they're all about media fuckery. Um, very right-wing, Trump-loving. When I met him, he was quite woman-hating, um, gun-loving, like all the things I'm not, basically. I was his hate match, you know what I mean? I'm. Basically, of a Jewish background, I'm in a mixed race marriage, I'm a journalist, I'm left wing, I'm all the things he hates. So, he just uh, was really open to talking to me in the first instance, I think because they feel very marginalised, so they feel like no one's listening. So, that's the first thing. They want trolling and trolling culture to be learned about and understood by the mainstream society and the points they're trying to make. Very difficult life, brought up in a really difficult family. And so I interviewed him. He was very scratchy, it was very standoffish, um, but then also bizarrely very helpful. So, have you seen this link? Have you seen that? He helped me interview Weave, who's the most notorious troll in the world. He just wanted to help, and I couldn't really understand why, but he said, I need people to know about trolling culture. And then a few terrible things happened in his life. And we got talking on a much more human level, which is really uncomfortable for a journalist. Mm. And yeah, I ended up friends with him. (laughs) Um, One of his really good friends passed away in the time that we were connected. uh, And yeah, we just ended up talking. And he helped me access that culture in a way that you couldn't from the outside.
1: But he did shock you because at one stage you decided you were gonna engage him on uh, this group's hatred, literal hatred of white women. That, that it shot through almost all of their discourse that they...
2: Oh, so that was XT, okay, so that's a was, different... Yeah, Mick so um, there was another troll, XT, who I also became... did you
1: ask Mick, Mick about the same thing? Did, oh, yeah. oh,
2: yeah, I definitely He's, did ask him about a hatred of women. Yeah. And he said, um, you know, I guess because he he actually... His mother was a very violent alcoholic and things like that, so he said, you know, it's really hard to figure this stuff out on your own. Hmm. Um And their childhoods are actually a really interesting part of this stuff. Like, almost every troll that I interviewed, predator troll, had had this terrible childhood where they had essentially been left alone online. And I'm talking about completely alone. So there's a chapter in the book called The Internet Was My Parent. And this is about 10-year-olds being completely brought up by the internet. There's no parents around. They're imbibing extreme hatred against women, extreme neo-Nazism, all this stuff. And then like, you know, what do you know? A few years later, they get spat out as a troll. Mm -hmm. And I actually got that after a while. I was like, all right, you know what? This is a parenting story. This is not just nasty guys that fall out of the sky as psychopaths. They, and this is what the psychologist you were talking about earlier said to me. He said, Ginger, if the flowers are growing funny, look at the soil. And it was like this profound moment where I was like, "Wow, the soil mm. is this parenting, like this horrendous kind of way that we being up. What yeah, this the, this the white common- women are cancer thing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. that was like, oh. Well,
1: that's, I thought it meant- was Meat Sheep that said that, the white women are no, cancer. No, it's XT oh, okay. that said, you know, yeah.
2: white women are cancer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what is their the profound hate? Because what strikes me about it in reading your book is essentially the way they behave and, and work in packs and the fact that so many of their victims are women, it's almost like a kind of online gang rape that they're engaging in. Yeah,
2: they really hate women. And at some point, like it was almost intractable. Like I, I mean the darkness in there, was incredible. And by the end of it, I was just drinking and crying and shouting at my children, you know. It, it really was very hard to deal with. They, feel left behind by society. They feel that their kind of rightful place in society is the top of the food chain, as white men has been um, knocked off, and they blame white women, and particularly feminists. So a lot of this stuff is very simplistic. It's just, instead of looking at the structures of power and control in society, and looking at the economic issues that may have left them behind, You know, they just blame white feminists.
1: And let's look at some of the things that you discovered that they've done to women. So what were some of the examples that you found, again, where this crosses from just being abuse online to where it has real world consequences?
2: So one of the most kind of horrendous case studies that I came across was the Australian journalist Sherelle Moody she came from a very violent and difficult background and is now um, a sort of anti-domestic violence and anti-gender-based violence campaigner as well as being a journalist and the kind of men's rights activists trolling against her is very orchestrated and ongoing and i mean it's so extreme it's actually hard to quantify but in the time I contacted her, right before I had already submitted the first draft of the book, as a result of the cyber hate against her, her horse was killed and her dog got given acid. So you can't say that these things are separate. They are the same. And really, I mean, Facebook can whine and whinge about the way that they're treated in my book, but they didn't do anything about it and they don't do anything about it, and neither did the police.
1: Is this why you've coined the term predator troll?
2: Yeah, because I think like that, you know, when I started writing the book and people got hold of it, they were saying, oh, this is just kind of white feminists whining about stuff. But I was saying, no, like, this is real life harm and we need to have a term for it. Because at the moment, the language is used is so... Vague, like, is it cyber hate? Is it cyber bullying? Is it, you know, what is it? Is it trolling? Um, and people say to you, Ginger, it's just people being mean online, just block and delete. And I'm like, look, you know, at the Unite the Right rally in the United States in August 2017, the Daily Stormer and their troll army incited their hordes to go to that rally, and one of those guys drove a car into the rally and killed a woman. So I'm sorry, block and delete is not going to solve this. I mean, there are there are actually stories of hope though. I can tell you a really hopeful story, everyone, because it's like, oh my God, at some point you're like, yeah. this is intractable. Um, so. One of the guys in this book, and he wouldn't let me put this in, so I'm telling you now, it's not in there, but I wish he would have let me. He was an incel when I met him. So these are guys that hate women. They think that women are only there for sex, and they want, you know, if they can't get women to give them sex, they believe in using violence, and the chat rooms, I mean, honestly, they may be nauseous. So I met this guy, I talked to him for about a year, and then after a year, he said to me, thank you so much, because I no longer hate women. And he'd actually started dating somebody, and he said, that's because of Lucky him. her. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I was actually thrilled about that moment, because I was like, wow. Oh. Wow, like this is not intractable. The e-safety commissioner is here and I know she gets this stuff all the time. Um, You you know, but I had this moment where I was like, wow, this, you know, this stuff cannot survive human kindness we need to rather than bring our hateful selves to this we need to bring our greatest humanity to this problem which
1: is commendable but I have to say that some might think that you and, and you trying to understand them that you might have an overly sympathetic view yeah of I do no. not, not share your level of sympathy towards <laughs> some of these
2: I know and you get trolled really badly sometimes too don't you
1: yeah but it, it, it approaches nothing that I've seen of the trolling of my friends like Lee Sales yeah. Crab, and my wife and, uh, and uh, look, you know, the, without going into too great detail, the most appalling thing I have ever read didn't come by way of a, of a tweet, it came by way of an email when talking about personal safety. To gay one night sitting next to her on the couch, and she said, look at what I've just got. And I read this thing, which the, was the most vicious, sexually violent thing I think I have ever read, and it was directed towards my wife. Remarkably, he put his name and address on it, and a contact number. <laughs> I have, and we, we have these Chinese walls which were never normally broken down, but I could not resist. I made one phone call before I rang him, and then I rang him to see, is this you, is this what you've said? Yes, it is. Why do you believe that you could say this to anybody? Mm. You know, uh, why do you believe that you have a right to say this to anyone? Why would you speak like that to a woman? Completely unrepented? and I said, well, listen, buddy, I know the, the uh, Commissioner of the Australian Federal Police, and you've put your address on this, and the cops are on their way over there now, so enjoy the conversation.
2: <laughs> and did you actually call the police? I
1: called the police before I rang him.
2: <laughs> and did the police go? Yes, they did. But is that because you're Chris yeah, no.
1: The other thing, too, is that I had I an you know, advantage, but it was, that was the second incident where this is why we sort of improved the security on our house. And so, yes, I had an opportunity that other people didn't have, but, uh, but you know, it's, it's hard to stand by on that. And, I, and he eventually rang back, Uh, I also made contact and apologised, and I'm sorry, um, I don't care. And I don't care what his life is like, and I don't really care what made him like that. But
2: I wonder, like, if you weren't Chris Ullman, if the police would have done anything. I mean, mean, there are some...
1: That's what I'm saying, I said said I'm in a privileged position, but, but, you know, it was a... uh, It was... uh,
2: Like, that woman in the book, Justine, who has tried to suicide because of the predator trolling by her partner, Mm. Facebook and the police had never done anything till I rang and I said, "This is going in my book. Take, basically, excuse my language, take take this shit down, mm. like, you know." And I mean, I know that the e safety office has a very high um, cooperation with the police and with um, social media companies, but most of us don't,
1: mm.
2: <laughs> you know. So that, um, but, but, but the other
1: thing that's really clear in your book too is that, and it's so, so true of every time we, sing, we we try to talk to Facebook or Google or Twitter, these monoliths. Will not actually respond to questions. No,
2: and it was absolutely incredible sitting into the Senate hearings into cyberbullying. Like you had these Australian senators, loads of them, not just one or two, but a whole panel of them asking Facebook and Twitter these questions, and the obfuscation was amazing. Like at no point did they give any useful information about how they deal with complaints how quickly they do, how those complaints are triaged, and why not? I mean, they obviously don't have a duty of care to the public, really. Like, they say they don't want people hurt on their platforms, but well, God damn it, do something about it. You've been whining about this since 2006. Do you
1: believe in that they don't want people hurt, or is it actually part of the business model?
2: I really question this. I mean, they have the best engineers in the world working for them. If they wanted to, I think they could stop this. It, you know, I read a huge um, report as part of writing that book by the Pew Center in the United States, and they um, canvassed more than 1,500 academics and experts worldwide on this stuff and over and over again they were saying you know discord on those platforms actually serves the platforms it doesn't um it, it brings people to the platforms so the platforms say that they don't want this on their platforms if you don't want it stop it and at the moment you've got like law firms like morris blackborn actually um saying you know we need a legislative duty of care Um, I don't know whether I agree with that or not, but I think at the moment there is no motivation for them to stop it. If there was, they would have stopped it. (laughs) Like, you know, why haven't they? Mm. They, I mean, the way that I explain this to people is like if there was a company putting unsafe cars on the roads and we were getting maimed and killed in those cars, we would expect them, we would hold them to account. They're not being held to account.
1: Now I know people have plenty of questions, so I want to leave plenty of time for it. So if you could start thinking now, if you've got one, uh, we'll stick up a hand. I think we've got some microphones that will move to either side of the room. Did this damage you?
2: The, yeah. So by the end of it, I was a real mess, Chris, and I, like I said, was crying and drinking all the time and shouting at my children. And I do have a trauma support person through the DART Centre, but that wasn't enough, so I'm now doing yeah, a specialised course of therapy for trauma in journalism. It's amazing, actually. Yeah, I didn't expect it to be so dark. I really mm. didn't. I didn't, you know. There were lots of funny moments because the trolls are really funny. <laughs> like I said to Meepship at one it's stage. All black
1: you, humor, I guess. Well, yeah.
2: it's so, like, <laughs> you find yourself laughing at these really weird moments. But I said to him, are you going to be cast out by your syndicate because of having such a close relationship with me? And you know what's going to happen i i'm worried about your safety he said don't be stupid ginger trolls can't read then i they're not, <laughs> not going to read your book you know so there's actually there're there quite a lot of moments of humor in there as well
1: no worries we have some questions from the audience so one over on near the back up there if you could just identify yourself if you don't mind and we'll
2: I'm Angela, a Canberra resident. Yeah. I was going to ask Ginger, do you also have female trolls and is yes. the behaviour different? Yes, so there, actually we had a case study in the book of three women trolling each other and they all ended up in court. Um, but we took it out just because, not for any um, gender reasons, just because it really slowed the narrative down. And can I just shout out to Arwen Summers, who is the reason that the narrative reads like a thriller. Um, She's my at my publisher. Um, there, there's a case in there of Marion Besteda, the Australian lawyer, and her major troll was a woman and got charged actually under the Criminal Code Act. So yeah, there definitely are female trolls. Uh, one of the main, one of the women I really wanted to talk to, Jamie Cochrane, was a transgender woman who used to be president of the GNA. She died actually right when I was meant to talk to her, um, sadly, because I thought that would be fascinating. Like, how do you, as a transgender woman, um, think that this whole thing works, and do you feel marginalised? Um, but yet, yeah, a lot of them die because they are such damaged individuals and they take a lot of drugs. So unfortunately, I never got to talk to her. But the answer to your question is yes, there are.
1: Question at
2: the back.
3: Hello there. I was just wondering whether there is um,
2: any documentation around any cost to society around trolling. How much much does it cost society? Oh yes. So we didn't get to this. But so um, one of the things. Thanks for your question. Um, One of the things I did, which um, is really not that usual for a journalist, is. um, I was looking at the case studies as a cohort, so not as one and I was trying to find patterns in what was happening and I realised that it was just costing so much money. Like People were describing the absolute destruction of their lives, they were describing losing multiple jobs, having their reputations, wrecked online, having to go to court, all these costs associated with being a cyber hate target. And so I started ringing economists, saying, please help, I need this data. And they all said no, except the Australia Institute. Rod, Tom, Ebony, are you here tonight? Hello, where are you? Hi. Um, Thank you, Australia Institute. So um, the Australia Institute, I rang Richard Dennis economist and I said Richard I need help and he said this seems important we're gonna get you this data and so they did nationally representative polling on my behalf and they found that cyber hate is costing the Australian economy 3.7 billion dollars and that's only days off work and health costs so the actual real cost is a lot more and uh, the amount of Australians who have been subject to cyber hate, some more extreme attacks and online harassment, is 8.8 million adult Australians. So this is not something we can say is a minor thing. This is a big thing.
1: I've got a question here, and then one at the back.
3: Hi. Um, so I'm only halfway through the book, so apologies if you do answer this. <laughs> um, but you mentioned parenting as a major cause, and I listened the other day to the mother of the Columbine shooter. Yes. And she swears that she couldn't possibly have known that she loved her son, gave him everything and um, was aware of some depression and was working through it but had no idea. Did you ever see instances where that... the
2: parenting... It's not one thing. So I would never say they are all the same um, by any means. But, um, for example, Weave, who is the world's most notorious troll, the letter that I quote in there from his mother is so heartbreaking. She's obviously the most lovely person and she does charity work and she adopted, you know, they are a white family. She adopted these two black kids. She, She really seems to be a loving and wonderful person and her son has done the most horrendous things and I you know, I mean, you cannot say always that parenting is linked to this, but I think in cases like Meep Sheep's case where the kid is totally left alone and is not parented and is left online in kind of echo chambers of hate, that does have an impact. So I would not want anyone to go away thinking that all the same, that all say this, they all do this. It's not one story. But there are definitely threads in there that we need to pick up, and when we're looking at bullying programs in schools, we need to also be looking at these kids that are alone and isolated and are growing up with the internet as their parent. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. You're
0: back. Uh, hi, Ginger. I'm Mick. Um, I work in PR at Where's the moment. Mick?
2: Hi, Mick. <laughs>
0: and, um, a lot of professions now require their people to be online.
2: Yes, that's right.
0: How do we, how do we protect our people and um, I guess how does society protect those people going into those industries? Mm.
2: So I wrote about this about five years ago and as far as I can see no one is doing anything about it. Most social media policies actually are about protecting the organisation, not the individuals and they're essentially sending their staff into unsafe workplaces. So this definitely happened at the ABC where you were, you know, really encouraged to be online but there was no social media self-defence training. So yeah, that's what I'm saying, social media self-defence training. Like, what are you sending your staff into? Do they have the psychological and physical skills to deal with this? Do they have the contacts, the Safety Commission, do they know what to do and who to contact if this happens? Do they know the motivations of trolls? Like all this stuff they need to know before going into that space because it is not safe at the moment.
1: Yeah. It's some people more resilient than others too. And some people do manage mm. to cope with this a, a whole lot better than others. So it just depends on the person. In it the does. And you point out too that one of the, one of the chief targets of uh, this are women in the media.
2: Yeah, that's right. So women in the media are getting attacked three times as much as their male counterparts, which won't surprise anyone in the media. And uh, actually, PEN America. So that's um, you know an organisation that promotes literature. They've just put out the most amazing field guide to online harassment, and it actually teaches people who write and are in the public eye how to deal with this stuff. So yeah, I would like to see all organisations that require people to be online to be thinking about this stuff. And it's not just like, oh, Ginger's feelings are gonna get hurt. Uh, There is a social media lawyer quoted in this book, his name is Roger Blow, and he has said to me, listen, These staff who suffer trauma as a result of being online for their work are going to sue their organisations and they are going to win because those employers have sent people into unsafe workplaces. It's just like sending someone onto a building site without any appropriate gear or training. It's exactly the same. So we're going to see in the next 10 years some of these claims, they're they're going to succeed and then you're going to see organisations change their behaviour. I hope it happens before then, but it won't.
1: I think we've got a question over here. Uh,
2: Thank you, Ginger. It's Diana here. Oh, hi, Diana. (laughs) Nice to see you.
4: Good to see you too. Um, And uh, obviously this is Ginger who came to sort of minorities and so we're always thankful that you always (laughs) really go to those groups. I mean, And coming to minorities, people like myself, from a Muslim background, even though I was born here, Mm. we are attacked simply for having an opinion, let alone anything else, and we're not out there as journalists. And so there's this uh, right across... And only last night I had to block again somebody on our community page simply because how dare we have an opinion on anything Um, And if you are a high-profile Muslim woman, for example, you're shot down completely because how dare you have an opinion. And only yesterday I had to update my security clearance. Why do you use so many different surnames? My answer, so the trolls can't find me. And so you're doing all sorts of things to hide from the trolls and the haters, but simply existing as alone to be trolled. Mm. So there are communities out there who are really suffering because of simply existing.
2: Absolutely, and I'm really sorry that that's the case. You know, and I mean, really, I wish society was better. (laughs) And one of the things, I mean, I say to Meep Sheep in the book is you are policing discourse with white men at the centre and you are basically shutting everything down. You are not a bastion of free speech. You are actually cooling speech. And you are making people afraid online. And until social media companies do better and law enforcement does better and we expect better, it's not going to change. And the other thing that I say to people you know, I heard Malcolm Turnbull say at Safer Internet Day. Julie will know, was it last year or the day before? The year before. He said, um, you know, the internet is causing people to do this. And it just made me livid because the internet is just the vehicle. Like, this stuff exists in society. So if you want the internet to be a nicer place, you need to stop people being racist and misogynist and that stuff. So I think what it tells us is, we need to, society needs to be a lot better than what it is. Yeah, but I'm really sorry that your community and Muslim women like this data to say that they attacked more than anyone else, you know? And I wish that wasn't true. (laughs) You know, that's why I was taking these guys to task.
1: Question over here.
4: (laughs) Hi, Ginger.
2: Hello. Um,
5: my name
4: is Val. I'm an honor student uh, from the University of Canberra. And first of all, congratulations on your first published book. It must be a great <laughs> feeling. Um, uh, look, I'm doing research that related to artificial intelligence. And um, seeing that you've experienced harassment from a human, um, I was wondering, um, let's pretend um, a situation that, um, you know, um, our future is a little bit different and programs are taking advantage of people and what if one day um, all of us may um, you know, face the situation that we might experience um, cyberbullying from artificial intelligence? Mm. How is that possible and um, what are your thoughts on this situation? I mean, Thank that you. is
2: not um, so far-fetched. Like, that Like is what we were seeing in the 2016 election Presidential election in the United States, like a lot of that trolling was done by bots and it is done by bots. What the, you know, I talked about that Pew Center report and this is just kind of hilarious in the context of trolls thinking that they're bastions of free speech. That report predicts that what's going to happen to the internet is loads more surveillance and loads more walled off communities and loads more censorship because of this stuff that you're describing, as well as human trolls, bots, and all of that stuff. So, I mean, that isn't a very bright future, and I hope it doesn't come to that. But yeah, I think we're gonna see a lot, the internet is gonna change a lot. It's, it's not gonna be as free and easy as it is now. It's but certainly
1: changed a lot from those that promised these Elysian fields of intelligence that we'd be all be wandering in. It seems to have shone yeah. a dark, a very bright spotlight on the nasty I parts mean, of the human soul. That's
6: right. Um, Someone just here? Um, Yeah, Ian from Isaacs. Uh, Ginger, are these guys outliers or do you see any relationship between what they're doing and the libertarian arguments about free speech and 18C? Is there any relationship between the two?
2: Um, Well, they definitely all call themselves libertarians. I mean, I don't know if there are formal relationships between them, but they are free speech absolutists. Like, they believe that they should be able to say and do anything that they want. Um, Which is actually a crazy argument when you think about it, because you can't sexually harass or bully someone in real life, so why can you do it on the internet? It just doesn't make any sense. Like, someone can't tell me that they're gonna cut my uterus out and kill my kids in the supermarket, so why can they do it on the internet? It's really crazy. And even, I mean, I was on the drum the other day, and I think it was the head of the Diversity Council was saying, I'm scared of censorship on the internet. Like, you, what? Like, it's your people that are being attacked, you know? Um, that doesn't really answer your question, but they definitely do see themselves as libertarians and free speech absolutists. And I think those ideas are dangerous because when you have absolute free speech, you then um, are taking away the liberties of other people.
1: The other end of the spectrum is dangerous too, though, and, and one of the things it I know is. that Josh Bornstein says is we need to have legislation on this. Well, Australia already has the, the worst defamation laws in the country. And we and, do
2: have actually... Sorry, in the world. I mean, we do actually have very good legis- like federal legislation yeah. Under the Criminal Code Act, it is illegal to use a carriage service to menace and harass someone, and so basically what that means is you can't use the internet to harass someone. We've had it for 10 years, it's not doing that well. I think partly the reason it's not doing that well is not because of legislation, it's because we're not using it properly. Mm. The police don't understand it, the judiciary doesn't understand it. Let's use it, you know what I mean? It's there, it's been there for a decade, let's use it properly. It is getting increasingly used, but not enough
1: towards the back, I think.
5: Um, hi, my name's Sorry. Belinda. I'm a recent convert to Canberra. Hello. Um, Welcome. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> so reluctant. Um, <laughs> you might have actually already answered my question a bit, but um, I really didn't understand trolling and how bad it was until I started reading all the things that people write about Clementine Ford, who's one of my favourite writers. And it almost caused me to leave the internet because reading the things people said about her and what they were going to do to her and her child and everything was so sickening, I just said, I don't want to give those people a platform. What confuses me, and I suppose now you've been talking about the legislation, is that you you can find these people. So if you can find them, surely the police can find them and there must be some kind of offence they're committing. I mean... How can they say those sorts of violent things about people and there be absolutely no consequences? I don't really understand.
2: No, I mean, it is baffling. I think the thing is, this is like the way that domestic violence was treated 30 years ago where it was someone else's problem, it's a lot more women than men, so it's 34% men, 44% women getting attacked, it's a private matter, what's she whining about? you know there's all that stuff they don't understand the legislation they don't have the technical skills to deal with it and they don't have the resources to deal with it there are some very good police you know you can go down to your local cop shop and stumble across someone amazing but good luck you know because i don't think that's generally the experience so There's a kind of reality gap, if you like, between the legislation and the expectations of society and the training of police. So it's not that it's not illegal, it's just that we're not charging people and prosecuting people in the way that we should. And I mean, there's also horrendous stories of it going to court and the judge is like, what's Twitter, you know? Um, And you're like, yeah, I'm scared my kids are gonna be killed.
1: I just didn't say that here.
3: Hi, I'm Emma. Uh, this is carrying on the conversation we're having. Is uh, The Michelle Carter case in America is an interesting one, I think, and relates to what you've been writing about. She's just started her jail term. Uh, she was found guilty for inciting... Um, her boyfriend to kill himself and that is a very interesting piece of case law which is now coming into play in America where it wasn't before and they actually tried to defend her using free speech the right under free speech and what a lot of people you're talking about the absolutists um, they also tend to find that that's convenient to them when they don't want to have any uh, they want to be able to say whatever they want but when actually it comes back to them they're not as keen on that and they want to protect their rights and their things, um, so you talk mm. about narcissism and sadism, they do pick and choose, they cherry pick free speech and how they use it. Um, in terms of legislation, yes, uh, having something where you can get someone charged, what we need to start building is actually also case law. So there are precedents that people can start to use and start building upon um, to be able to get people uh, charged. and, and and jailed for these terms.
2: I mean, it is happening more and more. So I looked at Victoria, and New South Wales statistics and charges under the Criminal Code Act in those two states mainly just because, you know, they had more charges. So increasingly, though, the people are being charged under that legislation. And there is a patchwork of state um, and territory laws to do with stalking um, and other kinds of offences. The problem is, it's not necessarily um, uniform actually wonder, I mean, this is a really, something we need to discuss as a society, really, rather than just, you know, um, in a piecemeal way, but it's more about our expectations, that though, you know, we need to, like what we've done with domestic violence, expect that this is a serious offence and that people will be charged and they will be prosecuted, as opposed to any actual problem with the laws. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I would like to see the social media companies have a duty of care, but not everyone agrees with that. But it's about our expectations as a community, I think. Like, do we think that this is okay? You know, did anyone see the video that uh, Constance Hall put up? Yeah. You know, where she had been considering suicide because of the stuff that had been said about her, the constant cyber hate? Like, is that an acceptable state of play? I don't think it is. And what, if it's not, what do we expect? What are we going to do about it?
1: Uh, just towards the back, I think, there.
6: Hi, Ginger. I'm Shelby, Canberra local.
2: Um, Where are you? Oh, over there.
1: Yeah, sorry, I know there's someone up there. And oh, I was hi. pointing Hello. over here for <laughs> yes.
6: um, What practical advice can you tell someone who, who is thinking about making their way online um, and whether they should or shouldn't do it um, after being made redundant last year? Um, I feel like I'm allowed to express my opinions in public now, but that the, (laughs) I'm available for consultancies, Um, (laughs) but one of the things that has held me back is that fear that, you know, if I do start drawing attention to myself, particularly in that social justice space where I have been working. Is it something I should be avoiding? And I I did feel a little more empowered after your TED talk a couple of years ago but not enough to actually do it. So is there practical
2: advice? Well, congratulations on um, being a free bird. I just have to say, from personal experience and being made redundant by the ABC, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And (laughs) being able to shout my mouth off about whatever I want. Um, I would never say be silenced. I think that's really dangerous advice, the kind of get-off-the-internet advice. You know, the United Nations recognises internet access as a human right. So, but I think forewarned is forearmed. I think, um, you know, the e-safety office has all this amazing, there's e-safety women, there's all these amazing resources on there. I think just know what you're going into and have a game plan. Part of actually dealing with trolling now, like, I mean, I've got a cowhide. Like, I just don't care what they say. And part of that is knowing what's out there and what to expect. And, for example, does anyone know the amazing academic Susan Carlin? She's Walid Ali's wife. She taught me the best trick ever, because I'm not actually a funny person, really. And so she taught me this trick where people say these horrendous things to her. She's a Muslim woman. And she uses Mean Girl GIFs all the time. And so people will be like, you stupid Muslim whore, I'm going to send you bacon or whatever. And she sends back GIFs saying, you know, Regina George, why are you so obsessed with me? Right? So they want to hurt and upset you. And that's her saying, I really don't care what you're saying. I don't. And I've started using humour all the time. And it's absolutely amazing. Like, thank you, Susan Collins. So when I released the cover of the book, I started getting this horrendous trolling, like, you're a subhuman, C-U-N-T, you know, you're a filthy journalist. And then I would Screenshot it and go. Clayton says I'm a subhuman filthy journalist. Buy my book and find out if I am.
3: <laughs>
2: and <laughs> so, number one, like it stopped the trolling straight away because they were like, damn. Like, and I actually wrote a post saying, hey, good morning, trolls. Just letting you know if you've come here to troll me about my trolling book, I am feeding you into my publicity machine. And, you know, they hated it because it was the exact opposite to what they wanted. So there are some things that you can do. You can actually use speech back if you're clever. It doesn't always work and in extreme cases it doesn't. But, yeah, you can can put on (laughs) armour.
1: OK, we're going to take two final questions because, alas, we must make an end at some stage but towards the back.
7: Thanks, Chris. Hi, Ginger. It's Peter. Hello. I'm still checking the post box.
2: Her book disappeared. <laughs> <laughs>
7: That's okay, I'll have to buy two more. So, listening to the, the sort of, you know, what do we do about this, I'm, I'm hearing a thread here. You've mentioned a number of people have been prosecuted uh, or, you know, their, their uh, cause has become celebre because they're a woman inciting suicide you've also talked about the lack of action the lack of political will and I'm hearing a distinct sort of you know misogyny in the legislation misogyny in the police force or maybe it's just ignorance so how much do you think given that women are predominantly the victims here mm-hmm. how much do you think that you know more women legislators who have a reason to understand these laws and to apply these laws to protect the women in their electorates how much do you think that women in the police force who again would have a a motivation to go and become psychologists and learn about you know these sorts of uh, people predator trolls how much do you think that women being more involved in society than our allotted 25% currently would have an effect on the actual consequences or the changes that we can make legislatively or societally to combat these predominantly male trolls?
2: I don't even want to answer that I just want to clap. Look, a lot of people have said to me that, you know, if you look at Silicon Valley, um, and people should bail up Julie when we're drinking wine, Julie over there, the eSafety Commissioner. You know, if we look at Silicon Valley, this is largely, you know, young white men who are programming these, who are creating these platforms. And if that wasn't the case, this would be a very different story. So I think you're absolutely right. And I wanna tell you that one of the people that emailed me immediately, she was sent an advanced reading copy of my book, was uh, Professor Eleanor Huntington. She's the Dean of Computer Science at the ANU, and she's one of the few female deans in the world. And she called me into her office. She's probably had like three minutes 30 to spare. You know, She's one of those amazing people. And she said to me, What I want to do is basically what the E-Safety Commissioner calls safety by design, so design this stuff to be safe from the outset. Um, She might have called it something slightly different, but she said essentially she wants her engineers that go through her course to think about the human impact from the start. So if we get the Eleanor Deans on our side, we're going to (laughs) win, basically. So yeah, great question, and I think that's probably a step in the right direction.
1: And final question.
3: Um, we've talked, you've talked a lot about um, legislation and the fact that the legislation in Australia is, is quite good but it's not being used. How much of the difficulty with that is cross-jurisdictional and cross-border and things like that where you, know, you might be here in Australia, you're protected by the, the Crime Act about you know, not using a carriage service mm. but the, the, the worst of the troll is in the United States or they're part of a syndicate they're yeah. yeah, being trolled from Israel and the US and UK and you know, a whole bunch of different places and where you might be able to get one troll who's, who's in Australia you've still got this whole band of trolls who are you know, in, in, in different jurisdictions and if, with each of them in a jurisdiction you've got to go after each of them individually through separate law enforcement. How much is that a barrier to being able to confront and, and stop the trolls?
2: Okay, I'm going to answer your question in two parts. One is that the eSafety Commission is the only kind of its office in the world and it has jurisdiction to take, take down powers for children. So Julie can force social media companies to take stuff down when it comes to, like cyber hate, when it comes down to children. And I would love to see her office expanded so that it has takedown powers for adults. But her office is incredibly successful in working with the social media company. She has a stick to use if she needs it. She doesn't really need it because she's actually quite successful about getting the social media companies to take it down. The Senate um, committee I talked about earlier, they did recommend that her remit be expanded legally to include adults and that would be amazing. Um, there is, when it comes to stuff like um, child pornography, there's an international network called InHope and they take stuff down within 24 hours, usually 48 to 24 hours, and it includes dozens of countries. I would love to see a really similar thing with cyber hate, where if it's extreme, it gets taken down straight away, basically, um, because there's no reason that a death threat or that sort of stuff should stay online. So yeah, it is. there is a jurisdictional problem at the moment, but we've solved it when it comes to other crimes, and I don't see why we couldn't solve it for this as well. But the, um, you know, Britain and other countries are looking at copying the eSafety Office, so we are actually lots of countries, are Ireland, I think Korea, so you know, we are doing some stuff, right? There is some hope, but we need to, <laughs> we need to do a lot more.
1: Now I know you would know from our radio days that uh, we're supposed to time out to the half hour and we've just crashed over it so it's <laughs> knocked the news out and someone um, is a little upset but I know also that you want to thank a couple of people. So I, I
2: do. I want to thank you because you're amazing and Come thank up. you for coming and thank you for being my old friend. Um, I do want to thank my troll husband, although he's not here, Meep Sheep, for the incredible help he gave me, and my husband, Don, my daughters, Kitty and Elsa, they ate so much frozen pizza, I can't even tell you. Um, Arwen Summers, who um, is my publisher but did the most incredible structural edit, like I essentially just gave her fabric and she made a dress from it, you know, so the way that the book reads is up to her. Um, Casey, who is a publicist, who is just out of this world. She's doing an amazing job. Um, my sister, Kate, and also Rachel, my dear friend, who um, you know I cried a lot and had a lot of wine and tea with them <laughs> while I was writing the book. And um, also uh, Tom and Rod and Ebony from the Australia Institute, the eSafety Commissioner, Julia Mangrant, who gave me amazing support, and um, Stuart Catherine, and Katrine from that library. So thank you. I mean, this is an incredibly hard project. It's left a really big mark on me and my family, and I'm incredibly grateful to you for being here and for the support that you've given
1: me. Okay, and I want to thank Arwen because I've always wanted to meet someone who is named after a character in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> Not something that happened, particularly an elf. So, uh, (laughs) and especially, I think we all need to thank uh, Ginger Gorman. This is an important book. Uh, Buy it. Buy it for your friends. Talk to people about it, and you never know. uh, We may begin to see some sort of change because you wouldn't buy a car where the brakes didn't work. So, can I give you a kiss, Chris? Of course.
3: Thank you.
0: I guess that brings our conversation to a close. I hope you can join us for refreshments in, upstairs in the foyer. Um, copies of Troll Hunting are available in the library bookshop this evening with a 10% discount, and Ginger has kindly agreed to sign copies of her book. Please thank everyone. Yeah, that's right.